This podcast is a production of Faith Living Church. If you like what you hear, join us for church sometime in our Plantsville, Connecticut location, Saturdays, 6 p.m. or Sundays, 9 and 11 a.m. or online anytime at faithlivingchurch.com. So what we're going to talk about is about being blessed. And, and one of the things we need to first start with is the idea of spiritual error. And the reason why this is important is because what we're going to talk about is a weapon that allows us to access blessing or a weapon that Satan uses us to keep us from that. And so when I talk about spiritual error, this is what I mean. Um, in general, put it in three big buckets. Um, generally speaking, we as humans fall victim to the same old trap that Satan, uh, that Satan has. I was talking with a friend of mine, um, and actually uh, Brian made me think about it. Pastor Brian made me think about it because uh, we talked about fishing. And so I know that anybody who has fished in here, as a little kid, probably the first lure that they had was that little, was it the Rapala, the little red and white, right? That was like the first lure. Your dad gave you that. He gave you the worms and the bobber, and he gave you the Rapala so you could fish it, right? And why? Because it's easy and it works, Right? It's easy and it works. And it seems to me like, uh, like Satan is like, why should I change anything else? Because this is easy and it works, right? And so here's the thing. There are three questions when it comes to spiritual, spiritual truth. And if we don't get these questions right, and, and to, the, to the degree that we get them wrong, we leave an opening for Satan to pour falsehood, right? Because if our life is not filled with truth, it creates a vacuum and Satan will fill it with falsehood. And the three questions go like this. Number one, who is God? What is the character and nature of God? If I don't get it right about the character and nature of God, Satan will fill that with ideas from maybe even seemingly credible sources about what the, the character and nature of God isn't and say that that's what he's like. And then we will think that God is like something that he's not. And in reality, that's nothing more than an idol. right? So number one, who is God? Number two... Who is man or who am I? Who is mankind? What is man like? What is my roles and responsibilities? What can I do and can I do? Who am I? Really, so who is God? Who am I? If I get that wrong, I will start to do things that God should be doing or I will not do things that, and expect God to do them when I'm supposed to be responsible for them. And into that, Satan feeds air. And the last one, so the first one is, is who is God? The second one is who am I or who is mankind? And the third one is, and this is a, this, the construct of this is a little bit difficult for me, is what is God's relationship to man? Or how does he view me? How does he see me? How does God interact? What is the expectations of God? So is God, is God far and distant and removed from my personal life? Is he really up close? I mean, what is that like? And so if I get those things wrong or any combination of those three things wrong, it leads and opens to us to spiritual error. And I've found in, in the years of ministry that I've been involved in that I could break it down into those three things and start to dig into the underlying sources of that. So what we're going to talk about today is, is humility. Humility is a really interesting and difficult topic to, to talk about because if you start to study the issue of humility and you're like, yeah, I need to be more humble. I need, and as soon as you think you've got it, what's the truth about that? You probably don't. You're probably like, yeah, 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 I'm getting this humble thing. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm, probably, I'm probably doing a pretty good job at it. I'm probably more humble than anybody else. I should probably write a book, Humility, How I Achieved It. You know? And so the next thing you know, you think you're humble and you're not, right? And so humility is a hard thing, but humility is a weapon that accesses blessing. I want us to think of humility as a spiritual weapon in our hands that accesses blessing. And we need to understand what humility is and what it isn't and understand that humility and its opposite, pride, is also a weapon. Pride is a weapon that Satan uses all the time. All the time. As a matter of fact, he blinds us with pride. He, it's the very first thing that he did, right? He blinded Adam and Eve with pride and said, you will not die, but you'll be like God. God is holding, listen to, listen to the original in, in Genesis 3, right? Um, who is God? God is holding out on you. He's not transparent. He's not who you think he is. He's actually deceiving you. He's actually a deceiver. He's not truth. That's what Satan told Eve, right? Then he said, then he said something about her. He said, you're, you're actually more than you think you are. You can be a God. You can be just like God. And pride welled up in her, right? And then God won't care. 
if you, if you strike out on your own. Those three things, and that's how we get the original error. Pride is definitely and absolutely a weapon. As a matter of fact, in my Bible, and we'll get into it today in one of the scriptures, I have, uh, I, I call it uh, badly drawn um, Bible illustrations because they're mine, and they're usually stick figures that only I can understand what the stick figures are because I don't even do stick figures very well. But it's actually a picture of me with Satan with his hand over my eyes. And the hand is blinding me with pride while he stabs me in the back. And that's what will happen is that pride will blind us to the truth. And so both of these things are weapons because humility is the antidote to it. So let's um, make sure we're clear on this. It says the weapons, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You notice that it says the weapons of our warfare, it says that they're not carnal, they're not things that we hold with our hands, but they are mighty. And what are they for? And if there's any doubt in our minds that the, that the battleground for our lives is between our ears, listen to what he says. He says, they're the, for the pulling down of strongholds. Now, if you don't know what a stronghold is, how many people here have ever been to uh, maybe Europe and seen a European castle, one of those old castles or anything like that? Anybody seen one of those? Okay. Um, so we have, and if not, you've seen pictures of them, I'm sure. If you haven't, if you've watched The Lord of the Rings, you've seen one of those castles, right? Um, my, my wife, Valerie, and I, uh, we went to... Um, uh, to London a long time ago, and then we were in England, and we went up to Windsor, and we went to Windsor Castle, right? And so it's a very typical uh, European castle. There is a giant wall, and then when you go inside the castle, you think, I'm safe, I'm inside the castle, and then there's another wall with a little moat and a tower on the inside, and that is called the keep of the castle. In the Lord of the Rings, in the, in the, 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 the two towers one, uh, it's, the, it's the last place that they, that they went to. So there's like a wall and another wall and another wall. And then there was the fortress at the back, right? And that's the keep of the castle. And that's the, 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 the last place, the last bastion. Well, a stronghold is that. That's what it's describing. A stronghold is a place of safety. And when it says that there are strongholds in our life, you, there are definitely strongholds in our life. And they're in our mind. And it's a stronghold either for God when Satan comes against us with an accusation or it can become a stronghold in our life about God and it's a falsehood. And when there's a stronghold in our mind that's a falsehood, then when you approach that stronghold, you will get resistance. Here's one of the things that I found is that, is that what you'll see, and here's how you'll know if there's a stronghold in another Christian's life or another person's life. If you present that person with, with undisputed truth, with the gospel, with the Bible, and what you hear is the two, the two following words, yeah, meaning, oh, well, of course, but. Well, of course that's true, but you don't understand my circumstances. Well, of course that may be true for you, but you don't know. Christianity is nice for you, but it's for weak-minded people. This kind, and they have this idea that Christianity is for losers and wimps and, 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 and weak-minded people and people who've, who have been through tragedy. And it is for all of that, but it's also for successful people, uh, seemingly successful on the outside, and for strong people and for intelligent people and all of that as well. But when you hear that, you, you, hear, you hear the yeah, but, you can be assured that in that area, that person has a stronghold. And it says here that the weapons of a warfare are for the pulling down of strongholds. The weapons of our warfare are for casting down arguments, logical thinking arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of, of God. Now, when it says about exalting itself against the knowledge of God, again, in my Bible, very bad, very bad illustrations. There's a picture of, of me. There's a picture of Satan. There's a picture of God. I just draw the little infinity sign because I don't know what God looks like. And then Satan, what he's doing is he's holding this thing up so that I can't see who God is. And that's what it means, is every logical thinking faculty that would distract us from who God actually is. That's a high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And so, it, so humility is one of those areas, and pride about how we think about ourselves is one of those areas. Now listen, this is really important. He says, because in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, Therefore, since we have such hope, let it, we use great boldness of speech, you notice Paul here is, would everybody agree that Paul was humble? 
Okay, and yet he says we use great boldness of speech. Humility is not a sh- does not make you a shrinking flower. Humility does not make you somebody that just holds back and doesn't say anything. That's not humbleness. As a matter of fact, that's the opposite of humbleness. That's a person who doesn't understand who they actually are. Humility can give you great boldness because you know exactly who you are. He says here that since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face... Uh, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily on the end of what was passing away. Now, what was happening here was that when Moses actually went up onto the mountain with God, and he was in God's presence. Think about this. Moses was in God's presence when God physically created the original tablets of the Ten Commandments and handed them to Moses. said that when Moses came down, his face was shining from looking at the glory of God. His face was shining. And what the people did was they said, we don't want to see that. Think about what they said. We don't want to see that. Why do you think they said that? Because it makes us feel bad. You go do it, and then what happens is, we are all familiar with masks, you come down and put a mask over your face until that fades away because we don't want to look at it. Now, The reason, do you think that the nation of Israel said, we don't want to look at your face, Moses, while it's glowing from the presence of God because we're jealous because we want that for ourselves? No, they said that we won't want that because it makes us feel bad about ourselves. The entire nation of Israel was invited into the presence of God, but they said, no, you go, Moses. We don't want to because when we see the presence of God, it makes us feel bad. It hurts my pride. And that became a source of a lot of problems for them. So anyways, it goes on here. and says, It says that, uh, that, that, that uh, they couldn't look steadily in the end of the glory which is passing away, but their minds were blinded. For until this day, that same veil, that same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. In this case, this is Paul writing right at the beginning of the New Testament, so this is the, would be the, the, the Bible. Because the veil is taken away in Christ. So in Christ, the veil becomes taken away. Now, let me ask this question. I don't know about you, but how many of you maybe uh, read the Bible before you were a Christian? Because I, I try to. Or talk to a person who's tried to read the Bible and they're not a Christian. Like, it doesn't make any sense. It's just, it totally doesn't make any sense. It's, it's all kinds of, maybe they read a King James. It's like these and thous and this and that. I don't understand it. It's just a bunch of, of stuff. And then you become a Christian and all of a sudden, it makes sense. All of a sudden, you're like, no, 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 no. Now I see it makes sense. And I, to, to now, I don't understand why a person can't. Well, the, here's the reason why. Here's the reason why something that becomes so self-evident to Christians, because we have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us saying, this is what it's like, because that veil has been lifted from our eyes so we can finally see, is because there, there is a veil that's there. Now listen, this is a really important thing. It says, nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit is, there is liberty. Humility brings blessing, and one of those blessings is is liberty. And it says, but we all, with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Let me explain the scripture, what he's saying here. He's saying, we all, when the veil is taken away from us, when we behold him as in a mirror, when we are, and here's the only way you're going to see really understand God is to open up our Bibles and to start to look. And when we see God, what are we doing when we're looking in the Bible? What, are we, what, is, our, what is our purpose? Is my, is my purpose to check off today's reading list? Is my, is my, is my purpose to, 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 to finish my, to finish my uh, 20 minutes of Bible reading? Or is my purpose to see the author? That's my purpose. To, I, want to, I, want to, I want to read my Bible until I hear from the author because he, it's a living book because he is alive and he's speaking to me and he lives inside. Of me. And so when I see that, then the glory of God reflects literally off those pages or my phone, right, in that case, reflects out of those words into me, no veil, into me, and it takes the glory of God and puts it inside of me and changes me. That's what it says. It says it changes me what? into the image of God. Now, does that sound like a prideful statement? No, it sounds like an amazing blessing because the only thing that I participated in was opening up the book and staring at it. 
until, and reading it until I heard from God. And then he does the work in me. And God's purpose in us is to change us and to be more and more like Jesus. From glory to glory to glory to glory. And the way that this works is when I run smack dab into something that doesn't agree with my old thinking about who God is or who I am or how he sees me. Run smack dab into a contradiction in the Bible. My job then is to stop. I go, and I take that little piece out of Joe's old stinking thinking. And I put in what God says, and piece by piece, time after time, over time, two steps forward, one step back, three steps forward, two st- right, that kind of thing. But I become more and more like Jesus. And I become more and more like the one who saved my soul. And here's the reason why this is so important, because sometimes we, we miss this and we stop at the end of chapter 3. But Paul didn't actually put chapters and somebody else did. So let's continue to read here a little bit. He says, therefore, we have this ministry. As we have received mercy, we receive this. We didn't do anything to to gain it. We receive this. Since we receive this, we don't lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. The same veiling is happening today, and that's why, where, exactly where I have that crude, constructive thing about, about Satan blinding people's eyes with pride so he can stab them in the back and kill them. And this is the state of every person who is outside of Christ today. You don't need Jesus. you got it on your own. You can handle it on your own. And all of that is pride. Humility is a key to blessing. Listen to this, this statement here from Micah. He says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now there's a, there are three whole messages into doing justly and loving mercy, but walking humbly with our God. Now, what do we hear a lot of times when we hear that statement? Okay, here's the the thing that's required of me, to to do justly, to, to, to create justice in this world, to love mercy, which means to forgive other people and to love being forgiven, and to walk humbly. That's the requirement, so I'm going to work on humility, Is that what we see when we see that scripture? Well, maybe. But you know what? Let me key in on one cool word there. To walk with God. Do you see the blessing? To walk with God. See, when God sees someone who is humble, he comes next to them and walks with them. I don't know that I have a better blessing in the world than to have the author and the creator of the entire universe walking with me in my life. I want to give you something. Do we all know that God is the creator of everything, right? Now, I'm going to sound like a little bit of a geek. We've got some things going on over here. I've got a science experiment that's cooking over here right now. We're going to do a little bit of science so I can sound like a little bit of a scientist, right? Cool? All right. So do you know that time is a function of creation? The time-space continuum is actually a function of matter and speed and distance, right? You'll get that later. All right, fear. Big thing is, is that if there were no creation, there would be no time. And since God created here, he exists outside of time. This is how he can know the end from the beginning. So God exists outside of time. What that means is that if God comes near me, because it says in the Bible that, that God, the eyes of God are roaming across the entire earth, seven and a half billion people alive today, and God is looking at each one to see whose heart is completely his, so he can come near them and strongly support their life. That means that if God is walking with me, that means that the God of the universe who is walking with me right now is, knows my past because he sees it right there because it just exists outside. He sees my past and chooses to walk with me anyways. That means he's in my present. But you want to know the cool thing? Because God exists outside of time. He's sitting over here at my future destination waiting for me and preparing things for me. 
Young people, this means, this means that, that, that I don't have to worry about what's going to, you know, who am I going to marry? Will there be somebody for me? That kind of thing like that. The God, if you're trusting God right now with your future, the God who is walking with you in purity right now is the same God who is standing at your wedding day waiting to receive you as you walk down the aisle. It's the same God, guys, it's the same God who is, who is, who is caring for your kids. It's the same God who is who's planning for your retirement. It's the same God who is waiting for you in heaven. Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you, right? And he is preparing a place for you right now, forever and ever, and he's also walking with you in the present. That's the blessing of being humble, is to have the presence of God. So humility is a, pres- is a blessing. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a couple of things today. We're going to ask a couple of different diagnostic questions because it's really hard to understand whether or not I'm humble, but it's really easy to see whether or not I'm not. So, um, so let's look at this one. This is Psalm 37. And Psalm 37 is uh, actually, scholars say that this was David's final words. Even though it's the 37th Psalm, and you would think that it would be like the 150th, but this was uh, written on his deathbed. Think about everything that David went through in his life. All the stuff that he was dragged through. I was thinking about it last night. I was thinking that, that when David was anointed to be king over Israel, he was probably 13 years old. When he finally became king over all of Israel, he was 30. And in between that time, he had to go through a whole bunch of people chucking spears at him, chasing him through, through, uh, uh, chasing him through the wilderness, chasing his parents, killing his friends, stealing his wife, doing all kinds of craziness. You know what all of that was? That was God dragging the David out of David so that he, he could be God in David. It's the same reason why Moses was on the backside of the desert. It was 40 years to to rip the Moses out of Moses so that he could be the Moses that God wanted him to be. But think about all the things that David went through and listen to what he says. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. In other words, have some perspective. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord and trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Here's the question. What is our perspective on suffering. What is our perspective on suffering when it's brought at the hands of other people? How much, I don't know about you, I, I'm, I'm maybe slightly a little bit of a type A personality and maybe a little bit of a control freak, maybe. Not sure, but maybe. My daughters are really going, maybe. But I'm kind of the guy that's like, okay, we got a problem? Let's make this happen, right? Let's take care of this, right? I'll give you just a really brief example. We um, made a slight mistake. We ordered a new refrigerator. And a fantastic refrigerator. Happy about the refrigerator. Problem is, um, we live in an old house. And when the guys came to deliver the refrigerator, um, our house is too small. He said, yeah, it'll fit through the front door, but we can't get into the kitchen because I actually have a door that goes into the kitchen. He goes, it won't go through the kitchen. Even if we take the doors off, it won't go through the kitchen. I said, well, come back Monday, and it'll fit. Oh, it'll fit. So I'm like, down to Home Depot, get a tool. <laughs> ka-ching, ka-ching. And I took the whole door out, the door frame, the door, everything, right? And I'm just, you know, I'm just, and I'm mad. And I'm just taking the thing out, right? Because that's going to take control of it and make it happen, right? That's not a really good prescription for life, though, is it? In certain circumstances, you know, fixing something, making something happen, chopping wood, whatever, it might be a good thing. But really... How much do I feel like I need to be in control? How much do I feel like I need to defend myself when other people are saying bad things about me? You see, what happens in the face of what happens in the face of adversity and suffering? He says, "Do not fret because of evildoers, but trust in the Lord." Do I hear that? And I go, "Yeah, but. Yeah, but. Yeah, but." And I go, well, here's a question. How big is your God? 
See, a lot of times the issue with humility is not, is not the issue of, of, of what I think of myself, but it's the issue of how I view God. And here's my question. Is your butt bigger than God? I mean that with just one T, you weirdos. All right. <laughs> does this make me look fat? Yeah. Is, does this pride make me look fat? Yeah. So is your butt bigger than God? Do we do every time you're presented with the infinite, almighty, omniscient, omnipresent God, do we go, yeah, but you don't understand. These guys have been mean to me. They might have said something to me on social media that I didn't like. What is our perspective on, on that? Your ability to trust God will diagnose your humility. My ability, because pride says you can do it. Take control. Take control of the circumstances. Take control. You don't, you don't like being alone? Find somebody. You don't like being poor? Make it happen. Take control. Do this thing. And we're, a lot of this times we're taught this in our, in our own culture, right? This whole rugged individualism, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, make it happen. I'm not saying there's anything wrong about uh, having ambition and, and making things happen. But what I'm saying is if you're doing it, in place of God and not trusting God, then what it shows is there's not humility in our lives. In particular, when it comes to when people are saying bad things, are you willing to be, listen, are, am I willing to be misunderstood and misrepresented without defending myself? This is one of my life scriptures here. Listen to what it says. It says, it says, commit your way to the Lord. And that commit actually means to roll over onto him, to take all of my cares, to take all of this offense, to take all of these lies, to take these things and give them to God. He says, if you will commit wholly your ways to him and trust in him, this is what he will do. He will bring it to pass. He will bring forth your righteousness like the light and your justice like the noonday. Now, if there's a lot of darkness around and light shines, we're attracted to it. He says he will turn the light on in the situation. And he will make the, your, the righteousness of your cause shine like the noonday sun. Now, here's an interesting thing. Um, we live, uh, we're here, church is here in Southington. And basically, we're kind of like in, in this valley, this valley that runs uh, kind of basically from like Simsbury down through and opens up down around Hamden. And if you notice it, and probably have, um, there's a ridgeline to the west, right? And that's kind of Bethany and Woolkit. You kind of go up. There's only one way to get to Woolkit, and it's up, right? Um, Bethany, Woolkit, Prospect is over there. And then on the other side, you have, you have this other set of, uh, at, the, at the edge of Southington as it rolls into Berlin and into, into Meriden, there's another ridgeline, right? And so one of the interesting things, um, I know I don't look like a cyclist, but I'm a cyclist. And, uh, and especially uh, this time of the year when you're cycling towards the evening, I can ride out towards the west, and it looks like the sun has set. And it's because it's set behind those mountains over there, the ridgeline over there. But then as I ride across town and come back towards my house, which is on this side of town, and I start to gain elevation over here, the sun hasn't set yet. Right? And so for some people, the, the sun rises and sets at different times depending upon where you are. If you live kind of over on the Mount Vernon side of, of the town, you, you guys know that, right? If you're over on that side or if you're over on this side, we know that. But when the sun is at noon, everyone can see it. True? Everyone can see it. It's not hidden behind the trees. It's not hidden behind a mountain. It's not hidden behind anything. It's everyone can see it. What God says is if you will take those offenses, if you will take the things that people have done to you, if you'll take those things and you'll hand them over to God instead of defending yourself, it says he will do it. He will turn the lights on in the situation. He will make your, 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 your righteousness shine like light and he will make the, your justice like the noonday. He will take it and he will make it so that everybody can see the truth. In other words, the truth will come out. But do we trust God to allow those circumstances to happen? Because you know what? The reality is, is maybe the truth won't come out until we're on the other side and we're in heaven. Is that okay? Well, we say it's okay, but in our hearts we might not think it's okay because we want to be justified. We want people to, th to like us. We want people to think we're great. And quite frankly, that's just pride, isn't it? I fall victim to it all the time. And, and, and sometimes I have these private conversations. Am I the only one that does this, that has these private conversations with myself? And then I'll say this. And then he'll say that, but then I'll say this. And then he'll say that, but then I'll say this. And that'll teach him. Does anybody do that? Am I the only one who does that? Am I the only crazy person who does that? Am I the only over-caffeinated person in the world who has these private conversations with myself? And of course, the other person never, never ever has an answer, but I always have this perfect answer. 
And then you have the conversation, and it doesn't go like that, and you walk away and go, I should have said this, and then he would have said that. And you have the after conversation, right? And so what is that? that that's me trying to justify myself. Instead, ooh, can I trust God to take care of that circumstance? Even if it makes me continue to look bad. And I'm not saying to be a doormat. If you know me, I am not a doormat. And I'm not afraid of confrontation. That's not me. I'm not afraid of those things. But there are times where we're saying, why am I doing this? Am I doing this to to stand up for what is right? Or am I doing this to stand up for Joe? And if I'm just doing it to stand up for Joe, maybe I need to take a step back. And that's not not a good place. Maybe I need to trust God and practice this scripture. So what is humility actually? And how can I be humble without being proud of it? Humility, I don't know if you've heard this before, (laughs) humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And and that's, I'll say, kind of, that's probably the first step. That's probably white belt humility, if you will, right? Um, Because here's the thing. Humility is actually having an accurate view of who I am my weaknesses, as well as my strengths, and having an accurate view of who God is. It's answering those first two questions correctly. When I have an accurate view of who God is, and when I have an accurate view of who I am, then I can be humble, even if it means that I acknowledge that there are certain things that I'm good at. Let me tell you something. To think less of myself is an affront to my creator. I'm going to say that again. To think less of myself, oh, I'm really not all that. Oh, I'm really, you know, oh, yeah, oh. That is an affront to your creator. Has he not made you? Has he not gifted you? And for you to go, well, no, it's really not all that great. What I'm saying is, I'm saying is, okay, God, I know you made me smarter. I know you made me uh, able to sing, or I know you made me good at sports, or I know you made me good looking, or I know you made me a good public speaker, or I know you made me whatever this thing is that he's made you. And you're saying, but really, it's not that good. And in doing that, I stand in judgment of the giver of the gift. Now, humility is also not thinking more of myself than it's true, right? We run into this all the time. And if you're a parent, um, you run into it a lot with, uh, say, sports um, or other quasi-competitive uh, things like uh, who gets the lead in the drama uh, club or you know something like that, right? Who gets first seat in, in orchestra or whatever the thing is that winds up being either very competitive like sports or quasi-competitive uh, um, academics, things like that, um, where you run into the uh, big fish little pond thing, right? Someone's really good, and you're like, okay, yeah, you're, you're really, you're like, you're the best soccer player in prospect. That doesn't mean that you're going to be in the MLS, right? Now, you might be, and I'm not going to try to squash your dreams, <clears throat> but let's not kid ourselves here. There's a lot of other people out there, and just because you're the best around. So some people get this overinflated view. Not only am I good, I'm the best. Well, maybe not, and because that is also an affront to your creator, To say, I'm more than what you've made, because that is pride, and that's an affront to our creator. To say that God couldn't make anybody else any better at singing, better looking, better at making money, better at whatever the thing is that you're doing than me. God could certainly do that. And by the way, you could even be great at it and not be successful. And that's an okay thing, too. Humility is not thinking less of myself, it is thinking accurately of myself, and it is thinking of myself less. Now, here's the thing. When we often think about thinking of myself less, we start to think, I should think about other people. And that's an okay thing, too, because it brings about the issue of ministry. But I want to challenge you that actually, here's the key to humility. There is an inverse proportion between how I view myself and how I view God. The bigger I am, the smaller God is in my life. But the smaller I am, the bigger God is. And how do I get the smaller without going, oh, well, I'm really not anything? Here's the thing that's, I'll just say the thing that's helped me, is instead of thinking of myself less, I'll take that time, that space that's created by thinking about myself less and focus on the greatness of God. Because if I can focus and get an accurate picture of how great and amazing and outstanding and awesome God is, 
I just naturally think of myself less. And then I even recognize that if I have something that is good, if I have something that's a gift, that even that came from God. And once I start to do that, I just start to think about myself less and I think of him more. That is the secret key, is to focus on God's greatness. That's what we're going to do for the rest of today and all of next week is to focus on the greatness of God because if we'll focus on the greatness of God, we will by nature have a more accurate view of ourselves. Both the things, it'll chop us down if we're prideful, but it will also allow us to see us for who we really are and step into our gifting. You know, there's this great book, and I just want to, um, great book by the, by the amazing theologian Max Lucado. Max Lucado wrote this uh, children's book, and I'm not going to read the children's book to you, um, but I'm going to suggest that, uh, and I do not have a uh, um, uh, financial arrangement with Max Lucado, but I'm going to suggest to you that if you don't have this book, get it. If you don't have this book, just, just go ahead and get it. It's easy. Every other page is a picture for those of us who are really visual learners, right? Um, I did this thing uh, a couple of years ago, actually, where we read this book uh, as a message. But I just want to give this to you for a second to help us understand what I'm talking about here. The, the basic story of this book is a story of a wooden people called the Wemmicks. And the Wemmicks were wooden people, and they were in this little village, and they went around. And all day long, they gave each other stars or dots, and if you did something really good, or your paint was really nice, or you could jump really high, or you could sing really well, or you could add, add uh, exceptionally fast, you got stars. If you tried to jump and you fell over, you got a dot. And then you'd scrape your, your, the paint off your knee and you'd get another dot. And sometimes people gave, walked up to people with lots of stars and just gave them more stars because they felt, well, they must be starry. And other times, people who had lots of dots would just get more dots for no reason other than they had dots. Well, there's this one Wemmick, um, Puccinello, and he had lots of dots. And the more dots he had, the worse he felt about himself. And he started to not even go out anymore because he felt really bad about himself. Until one day, he saw this, uh, he saw this uh, Wemmick that had no stars or no dots. And some of the, some of the people saw the, the starless, dotless Wemmick and decided that they liked that and tried to give her a star, which... It, promptly just fell to the ground and wouldn't stick to her. And other people didn't like that. Who are you with no stars or dots? And they tried to give her a dot, and the dot wouldn't fall off. And he was amazed by that, and he went and he followed her to the, to the, um, to the wood carver's shop, who is God in this situation, right? And he said, you just come around me and help you understand me, and I made you special. That's what this is. I made you special just for you, and it doesn't matter what other people think. This is a great story, a great story about self-esteem, accurate self-esteem, a great story about that, those kinds of things. But I want to let you know, I'm not going to read this, but I want to let you know that humility is not because we can go, oh, those stupid Wemmicks judging each other, those star-filled Wemmicks thinking all that, that they were all that. And we can be angry with those people. But I want to let you know something. That humility is not just for the people with stars, but it's for the people with dots. Because the people with dots have the same humility problem that the people with stars have. What I mean by that is they have a wrong view of who God is. The people with stars think that God is too small because they think that they're all that. And the people with dots think that their God is too small because he made a mistake when he made them. And God doesn't make mistakes. And so you know what? I said if you're tall and good-looking and you can add and you're a great public speaker and you're great at basketball, and, and which I'm not, by the way, and if you're, um, uh, and, but if you're great at sports and you're great at making money and you're all those things and you seem to be talented and you seem to have it all together, it's really easy to think that you're all that and have to work on humility. But I want to tell you something, that if you're short and fat and ugly and poor, and God didn't make a mistake, you just think you're short and fat and ugly and poor. God doesn't make mistakes. And to say that God made a mistake is to say that God is too small, that he didn't know what he was doing when he made you. It doesn't matter what socioeconomic class strata you were, you were in. It doesn't matter what country you were born into. It doesn't matter any of these things. God doesn't make mistakes. He knows what he's doing. The question is simply, do we trust him? Let me read a scripture to you. Psalm 139, verse 14 I just want to ask you in your own heart what you think of this scripture. It says, Psalm 139, I will praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. That my soul knows well. Now, there are two reactions that I think you could have to reading the scripture. 
I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That my soul knows well. Glad you noticed. That's the one, right? I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He actually says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Look at this. Woo-hoo! Now, one of those could be, glad you noticed. And the other could be, well, if you say so. Well, if you say so. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. God doesn't make mistakes. Well, if you say so. What we're really saying is, let me finish the sentence. If you say so, I don't believe it. Because I look at my life and I, I don't see anything that's fearfully and wonderfully made. But if you say so, I guess I have to believe it. That's, that's, that's pride. That is not humility at all. Your God is way too small because you're saying, if I look at my life, I judge God for how he made me. I judge God for what family he put me in. I judge God for, for whether or not my parents had a good marriage, whether or not I was born rich, whether or not I got to go to a good school, whether or not I got to do all these things. So I guess if you say so, but I really don't see it. But I'm telling you, he sees it. And here's the key word to that phrase. It says made. I will praise you for I am wonderfully made. That means even the good things in my life, I didn't put in there. God put them in there. Let's read this entire passage in context, shall we? And let me see what is the focus of it. Is the focus on the subject who was made or is the focus on something else? Listen to what David says. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide me from you. The night shines as the day and the darkness and the light are both alike to you. God was the first one with night vision. You formed me in my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. And I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows well. What's the focus of that scripture? God and the greatness of God. He says, I could go anywhere on the earth, and there you are because you want to be with me. He says, your right hand, your hand of strength will hold me and guide me no matter where I am. He said, you're the one who from the moment of my conception, you're the one who covered my spirit in a body, who gave me my soul, who knew me before I was even born, and who was walking with me and is standing, has been standing this day waiting for me to get here so that you continue to walk with me for the rest of eternity. That's the focus of the scripture. And I want to tell you something. The real key here, the real key is that if we will focus on the greatness of God, humility is not a problem. Humility is not a problem. So here we go. Let's focus on God's greatness. He says this. He says, and I'm going to read, I'm going to read all of Psalm 33. Pastor Ron read it last week, and it was fantastic. And it was one of the things that really kind of kicked off uh, uh, this thing in my own heart. He says, Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous. For praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with a harp. Make melody to him with an instrument of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. For the word of the Lord is right. And all his work is done in truth, even creating me. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. That's what Pastor Ron read last week when he was talking about with the chamois. He said, you touch the earth and God's goodness comes out. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together like a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. The Lord brings the counsel of nations to nothing, and he makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people who are chosen at his own inheritance. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. He sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on the, all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually. 
You see what it says about how God deals with us, how he sees us? He is not far off. Bette Midler and her stupid song, God is watching from a distance. What a lie. He sees our hearts individually. He considers all their works. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. If a king is saved, it is not because of the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered because of his great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits on the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you. That is the greatness and the amazing greatness of God. That there is not a kingdom on earth that has risen or stands other than the fact that God says so. There is not a person who has won a fight or an army that has won a battle unless God has said yes. It is not because of strength of arms. It is not because of strength of might by which we accomplish anything. But it's only because of the Lord. And if we accomplish something, great, good on you. If you take the gifts and talents and and, and amazing opportunities that God has set before you and you do something with them, fantastic. But we recognize that the strength to even do those things was because I was fearfully and wonderfully made. And as I do that, God becomes bigger. I become more accurately small. And then the God of that God of the universe stands and says, let's walk together. Woo-hoo, what an absolute blessing. We're going to take the last 10 minutes or so and uh, talk about three examples in, uh, in the Bible of people who were humble, and then I'll explain to you what I've been doing with this toaster oven the entire time. Moses. Think about Moses for a second. Moses is the guy that single-handedly brought down the, most, the, the strongest empire in the world at the time, which is the Egyptian Empire. He rescued all, every single one of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. So much so that a bunch of Egyptians and other people said, let's go with you and go out. This is the guy that stood at the the edge of the Red Sea, put his staff down in the Red Sea parts. Everybody walks it. That Moses. In Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, it says, Moses was very humble. More than all the men who were on the face of the earth. Huh. That man, that Moses was, was humble. You know when that came? That came when Miriam and Aaron were um, challenging him about, you're the only one that God's spoken to? Are you the only one that sees God face to face? We've heard God as well. You know what they were upset about? Just by the way, totally, total aside, has nothing to do with this, but maybe it applies to our lives today here in the United States. You know what they were upset with, with Moses about? He'd married a black woman. So Moses, when, when, when his wife died, Moses married a woman from Ethiopia. And Moses' brother and sister, Aaron and Miriam, were upset about that. So upset that they challenged his authority as the leader of Israel. Well, you can read about how that worked out. <laughs> Not too well. Um, God was like, oh, really? Uh, you guys need to take a chill. That's how he thought about it. Just saying another subject on interracial marriage. But there you have it, right? God was like, really? Really? Seriously? You have a problem with this? I've got a problem with you, Miriam. Turned her into a leper. By the way, what color does, are the, are the, uh, what color does leprosy turn your skin at first? White. She's like, you like white so much? We can make that happen. Just saying. Anyways, he says here that Moses was more humble than any person on the face of the earth. And by the way, who wrote Genesis and who wrote Numbers? Moses. Moses wrote that about himself. And that wasn't a prideful statement because it's in the Bible. So we know it's to be true. It was just accurate. How did that happen? If you think about Moses' life, if you think about the fact that he understood the the, the greatness and the glory of God, it was not not fanciful for for himself to say, I can stand and I can be bold and I can say these things because they were true. Peter was an example. I want you to see this one. This is interesting. This is what we'll, we'll get to here. Peter, at the end of his life, he wrote this. He says, to the elders among you, I exhort. I, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ and a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock which is among you, 
serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not being lords over those entrusted you, but by being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of, the crown of glory. It says older people, I guess I'm in the older people category now, um, people who have been Christians for a while, feed and serve and train and bend down and make it happen and serve other people, specifically people who are younger in Christ. Then you know what he says to young people? Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to the elders. Look, Jim, they're not right. They're stupid. They don't even think the things I think are funny or funny. Doesn't matter. Submit to them. Submit yourself to your elders. And then he says this. He says, likewise, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. Be submissive. Listen to what he's saying here. He's saying be submissive to one another. In other words, when I think of being submissive to one another, what it means is I need to think of you as more important than me, and your needs as more important than mine. And then he says you need to think of my needs as more important than yours, and and me as more important than you. And if we have a community of people who will do this, what we'll get is the people that go, oh, no, after you. Oh, no, after you. Oh, no, after you. And we'll be serving one another. And when we serve one another and we see others as more important than even ourselves, that brings humility because what it does is it requires us to recognize the dignity of every single person. The dignity, the human dignity of every single person just because they're a human being and God made them, regardless, ready? Regardless of whether they agree with us or not, regardless of whether they're Christians or not, regardless of whether they're active members of Antifa, regardless of whether they agree with us or not, we need to see others as more important than ourselves and see the basic human dignity in every other person. If we will do that and we'll be submissive to them, listen to what he says here, God resists the humble. God resists the humble. (laughs) Strike that. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud. He actively resists and sets up barriers of defense against the proud. But he gives grace. He bestows his unmerited favor, his divine influence upon our heart, his power in our lives so that we can follow him. That's what grace is. But he gives grace to that. Does he give grace to anyone else? No, he only gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he will exalt you in due time. And here's, here's, here's uh, number two. The first one was do not fret evildoers. Listen to this one. Casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. Our ability to trust God with circumstances, our ability to trust God versus seeking control will tell us whether or not God is really big in our lives. It will tell us that. Let me, let me help you understand this. What I've been doing here, um, and uh, I have uh, in my little toaster oven here, um, I have two toe hitch balls, which anybody knows are um, just steel, like a steel ball that goes on the end of your toe hitch, right? And, uh, and then I have two containers of water. And we will say that these, uh, I've heated them to 450 degrees. So, and they're upside down. Hang on. Because I'm not stupid. Yeah, the welder's gloves are smoking. I think they're hot. All right. So um, I have these two metal balls. Now, let's say that these two metal balls, these hot metal balls, represent circumstances in your life. Let me give you some circumstances. Represent sin. Represent hurt and unforgiveness. Represent what other people have done to you, an offense. Or represent your own failures. And shame. And the question is simply, how big is my God? I've got this one uh, Pyrex thing filled with uh, apparently 100 milliliters, um, because I have a scientist friend, 100 milliliters of water, which is uh, in, uh, here, us in, Eng- in English land, that's about a quarter cup of water. So um, if I take this, if I take this, the smaller one, this is my inch and five eighths, inch and three quarters uh, toe hitch, and I put this thing at 450 degrees into this. I have the desired effect. I say, 
That water can't handle it. It's too much. It's too much for you, God. It's too much. My, my problems are too big. The, the offense is too big. I've done too many bad things. God could never forgive me because the only thing that's going to happen to this water is it's going to heat up and it's going to change and it's going to get angry. And you can make tea out of that right now. And that thing will eventually smoke away. Maybe the problem is not because maybe you have even bigger problems. This is the two and a half inch one. And the problem really isn't the size of your problems. Maybe the problem is the size of your God. Now, I know, all you scientists in the room, I understand that fractionally this 55-gallon drum filled with about 35 gallons of water, that the temperature did technically go up. But would you like to put your hand in this water right now? Just as cold as the hose it came out of. Maybe the problem is simply the size of our God. It's not the size of our problems. Maybe if we'd work on the size of our God, not only would we have a God who blesses us, not only would we have access to the blessing of humility. Let me turn this off before I... Bad things happen. There we go. Ding! Um, maybe we wouldn't have a lot of problems either because God can take our problems. God can take our sin. God can take all that stuff, and he can extinguish it in his love. And the reality is that this is just a small thing. How big is God's love for us? Way bigger than can fit in here. It says that he holds the oceans in the palm of his hand. You think he can take it? Yeah, he can take it. There's nothing that we can bring to God that he goes, too much for me. And if you think that there's something that you can bring to God that he would say too much for him, it simply means that we have the wrong view of God, that he's too small. Maybe that's the problem that we're having when it comes to humility. Last one, and we'll close. We're going to, just for the sake of time, I'm going to kind of skip through this one thing really quick. Um, in, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, just the, the first part of this, it says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, and by which you were saved. Listen to what Paul said. He says, I'm declaring the gospel I preached to you, and my words that you heard from me are the reason why you got saved. Does that sound like a prideful statement? It's not. It's accurate. It's not. He, he did preach. It was the gospel. He says, the gospel that I preached, you receive, you stand, and you are saved. And if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, you will, you will remain. And then he talks about what he delivered to you. But listen to what he says. He says, I, this is what I said to you. What I received. I only gave you what I received about him. The Christ died for our sins. And he doesn't say for your sins. He says for our sins. Do you hear the real humility in that? He died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again on the third day. He was seen by Cephas and then by the twelve. He was seen by over 500 brethren at once. And after that, he was seen by James and then all the apostles. And lastly, he was seen by me like one born out of time. Then he says, for I am the least of the apostles. And I'm not worthy to even be called an apostle. And yet he was an apostle and defended it extensively. He said, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And how did he receive grace? He gives grace to the humble. That's how we know that Paul was humble, because he said, by the grace of God, God humbled Paul, God humbled Paul, and then gave him grace to be an apostle. And what Paul did with that was then he said, well, since I have this grace and since he has called me, I'm not going to question what he's done in my life. He says, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. I didn't say, yeah, whatever, God, I, if you say so, but I really don't believe it. He said, I believe that the big God called me, and because a big God called me, I labored more abundantly. Yet it wasn't even me who labored, but it was God which was in me and with me. This is why he says here in Philippians chapter 3, and this is where we'll close. Again, Paul, he says, he says, I'm writing finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. 
For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it's safe. Beware of the dogs. Beware of evildoers. Beware of the mutilation. There were people then that said you had to follow certain rules. One of them was circumcision. That's what he's talking about with, the, with mutilation. He said, he said, beware of people who will tell you that you have to follow a specific set of rules in order to make God happy with you. Those are evildoers because that's not God. God is a God of grace and mercy. We are the circumcision who worship God in spirit, rejoice in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. There is the difference between pride and humility. It's not whether I recognize that I have, have good things about the way that God made me. It's whether I put my confidence in them versus my confidence in the God who gave those things to me. If anyone thinks he might have confidence in the flesh, I have more so. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law I was a Pharisee, concerning zeal I persecuted the church, concerning righteousness which is in the law I was blameless. No one could look at me and said that I had, I had, I had done anything wrong concerning the law. And yet, all those things that from a human standpoint might be gained to me, I count them lost. Why? Because they were bad and evil and, and, and vicious? No, but I count them lost compared to Christ. I count them lost for Christ. He goes, let me tell you something that's way better than anything that humans can do. I have counted all these things for loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. And I have suffered the loss of all things and count everything that I have like a piece of garbage in comparison, not that what God has given me is bad, but in comparison to the greatness of God, to the greatness of God, that I may gain Christ, that I may be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, righteousness, which is from God and by faith, and that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to this death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Here's the thing. It's not a question. It's not a question of what about me and think, of my, think less of myself or think, even think of myself less. It's if I'm going to think of myself less, what am I going to do with that brain space? If we will instead force more of thinking of the glory and awesomeness of God, the God who could forgive your sin, the God who says there is nothing that could happen in your life that I can't handle. Yeah, that's hot. There's nothing, if your God is small, I wouldn't even put my hand in there, but there's nothing that God can't handle, but I can continue to come back to him and back to him, and maybe I should take my problems out of a small God put them in an infinite God who loves me and cares about me. So let's pray. And I'm going to ask, uh, Pastor Susan has been coming up and praying with Pastor Ron, and so I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Charlie to, and, uh, and Patty, if you want to come, uh, I guess, uh, but uh, to come up, and um, we need a microphone for them at some point, and I think it's this one. This is James's microphone. He was smart enough to remember that we needed a microphone last night, because I have to be like more than six feet away from these guys, which is fine. He's a Browns fan. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, so, uh, so we're going to pray, and I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm just going to ask you a question. If you're here today, if you're listening, and you're in the sound of my voice, and you say, you know what? I have not allowed God to take control of my life. I have not given my, my life to him. I've not surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ because I've either, whatever, when I recognize it now, ultimately it's an issue of pride. But I want to do that now because I recognize how, how great God is and how great his love for me is. And so we're going to pray right now. And then afterwards, um, Pastor Charlie and, uh, and, um, and Patty are going to pray for our general needs. So let's pray first right now. I'm going to pray first, and then we'll pray together. Lord God, thank you for your amazing love for us. And thank you, Father, for uh, what you are going to do right now as people come to you and submit and surrender themselves to you. Lord, I ask that you, by your Holy Spirit, 
would be true to your word and do what you said you would, that you would convict us of our sin, of your righteousness, and of the coming judgment, and that you would do it in such a way that we would surrender our lives to you, and in doing so, that you would give us the seal of your Holy Spirit on our hearts, knowing that we have been forgiven. So if this were me, this would be something that I would pray, and I would just invite you to pray along with me. Dear God, you know that I'm a sinner. And there's nothing I can do to change that. But I believe that Jesus Christ is your son. That he died on the cross in my place. And that he rose from the dead. Signifying that I could be forgiven. Please forgive me for my sins. All that I am. And all I ever will be. I surrender it to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.